don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. This is Optimus Primer Button, leader of the auto part junkies. And I'm calling on all auto parts junkies to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. here on Tan Talk. This is Optimus Primer Button. If you don't tune in, it will be the end of the world. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo, or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. It's named after the great Enzo's son. Dino is short for Alfredo, and it could be argued that this, the baby Ferrari, had the biggest influence on one of the world's most famous sports car marks. Note the position. It's mid-engined, and this, when it was first launched at the end of the 60s, was the first car from Ferrari to have its power plant mounted amidships. In fact, with a very few exceptions, it wouldn't be until the end of the 90s and the 550 Maranello that any Ferrari driver would sit with the engine in front. Unless, of course, things went very badly wrong. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now that is a proper car interior. The Baby Dina was a contemporary of the big Ferrari Daytona, and on this particular model, this is a Daytona interior with the striped seats. It's exactly the same as in the bigger car, but an awful lot smaller. It was designed in here by Pininfarina, as was the exterior, and I reckon this inside is every bit as beautiful as the outside shape of the car. The original intention was that the Dino, badged Dino and not Ferrari, would begin a whole new range of more affordable sports cars from Maranello. In fact, when the car arrived, it was such a revelation, people adored it, and it in itself inspired a whole new range of mid-engine Ferrari supercars. Note that prancing horse Ferrari badges seen on surviving examples today are later additions. In fact, originally, due to its fairly minuscule 2.5-litre V6 as opposed to a V12 engine, Ferrari were not at all happy about having a prancing horse on it at all. Despite being nicknamed the Baby Ferrari, the Dino was at the time hardly a cheap car. It cost about £8,000 when a Daytona was admittedly twice that at £16,000. But you could buy a V12 Jaguar E-Type for just £4,000. It may not be the fastest, and it's certainly not the biggest, but the little tiny Dino can claim to have inspired several generations of exotic and flamboyant supercars ever since. Alan Decadenay, elderly racer and raconteur, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google tantalk1340.com and we'll, we'll uh, you can see us live here in the studio uh, if you've missed any of our past shows don't forget to check out our website golfstreammotorsports.com uh, there's a podcast page in there it's called Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you can listen to all our past shows and don't forget to like us on Facebook golfstreammotorsports.com or actually it's Golfstream Motorsports and our other Facebook pages Nostalgic Radio and Cars and of course I continuously upload pictures on there provided uh, 
that we've uh, that I've got something to upload. And there's always uh, on Gulfstream Motorsports, there's uh, some pretty cool car stuff. Usually some older cars laying around that I see as I'm driving around. There might be, let's see, what did I find the other day? Uh, oh, I retrieved a old vintage Mercedes for some gentleman. Let's see, what else did I find? I found a... Uh... Yeah, how about that? <laughs> what looked like a 63 Corvette split window. And uh, it just kind of got my attention because it had like uh, little flares on the back, little flipped up in the back too, six taillights, you know, typical California kind of car. <laughs> All right, that's nice work on the sound effects there, Bobby. That's a good one. Anyway, I run across these every once in a while, but what was interesting is when I went out and started talking to the guy a little bit, I got on my truck and walked over and jogged a little bit, and he asked me if I was into Corvettes and stuff, and I said, well, yes, no, maybe, kind of, you know, but anyway... What happened was, is uh, he said, well, here, let me show you an old race car that I got laying back here. So, uh, it's kind of a weird-looking thing. It looks like it was a straight-axle, late 50s, like 59, 60 Corvette. If you go to our Facebook page, there's a picture of it. It's kind of corny-looking. It's got hogged out wheel well, so it probably had some big stickies on the back. And uh, the uh, interior was modified a little bit. Uh, there's a hood scoop that uh, leans right up against the windshield. The front of the car looks like it was, like, stretched a little. So it almost looks like an AFX, like a gasser slash uh, altered. I guess that's the word I was looking for, altered. But anyway, like I said, you just never know what you, uh, you're going to run across. You just drive around, and like I said, on weekends a lot of times, people get their garage doors open, and uh, there's all kinds of surprises in there. Excuse me, sir. Yes. It's the bat phone. To the bat balls. To the Batmobile. That brings back a lot of memories. Used to watch that TV show all the time. That's one car I haven't found in my travels yet is the uh, a Batmobile or anything obscure like that. But they've all been found. The Batmobile, the Monkeymobile, the Munstermobile, the Green Hornet, all the cool shows of the 60s. Anyway, back to my story. Let's see. Where was I? Where was I before I so rudely interrupted myself? <laughs> you know, there's just something about a fart noise in there. I don't know, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> makes everybody laugh. Oh, well, what can I say? It's funny. Anyway, on Gulfstream Motorsports, excuse me, on Nostalgic Radio and Cars, what I uploaded up there was a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, and we didn't talk about it too much, but uh, Rick Scott was in town, and we talked a little bit about the uh, electric car. Uh, or actually, not the electric car, the self-driving car, the Audi that they had over there that they demoed on the uh, Selman Expressway. But that's another topic for another, 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 another day. Here I go again. Beep, 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 beep. Bobby, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm You're doing, doing good. good. Okay, I got Bobby in here. He's uh, running the board. And we got a new uh, board engineer coming up. Chris is standing behind him. Chris is going to be doing the shows here probably in the future once Bobby goes back to school. So we'll say a big shout out to Chris. Chris, you want to stick your your uh, face up there? They can't see your face. They can well, only hear Robert. you. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> Chris, are you, are you a car guy? Um, Not as much as you, not but as I you. am. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. As long as we have car guys. At least if I say tires, wheels, motor, transmission, you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Can I say rims, spokes? Yeah, that'll work. That'll carburetor. work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll work. Well, actually, in your case, fuel injection, since your car's a newer car. <laughs> but anyway. The rotary engine. Uh, that's right. Anyway, uh, we've got an exciting show for you tonight. We've got some cool 60s, 70s music. We've got a guest coming on a little bit later. And, of course, next week is the big, 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 big Monterey Car Week. So we got the vintage races at Laguna Seca. Last week we had on the uh, general manager and CEO of Laguna Seca, Jillian Campbell, sweet lady. And uh, tonight we've got another guest coming on who really was one of the pioneers of bringing the auctions to Monterey. You know, years ago in the 70s and 80s when I used to go out there, Monterey Historics kind of started in the early 70s, and then basically they've always had Pebble Beach, which was the traditional and the creme de la creme of uh, classic car concourse events. Well, this gentleman decided in the mid-80s to uh, incorporate a auction there of very nice, exquisite Highline cars, and that pretty much set the uh, pace for what we now have, and we now have... Gooding, we have uh, RM, we have Russo, we have Bonhams, we have Meekums, 
And I think we have one more going to be there, but uh, I'll bring that up in a few minutes. But at any rate, let me tell you what I did yesterday. You guys know that I'm a car fanatic. And one of the things that I do professionally is, besides buy, sell, and trade cars and vintage, actually vintage cars and vintage parts, <laughs> is I, uh, I appraise cars. So uh, the other day, I appraised something I hadn't done in a while, and I, and I was called to uh, render my services to this gentleman who had this most amazing 66 Corvette. Now, Corvettes I like, especially mid-years, uh, even though I'm a Ford guy. Bobby, do we have that one little sound effect that I, did we get that over the one, the engine from the car that I, the Corvette that I did yesterday? I was so impressed with the sound that I, after the appraisal, I actually set my, my audio equipment there, and I uh, recorded it. But anyway, the guy was very proud of the car, and the car was done very nicely. And what was interesting is the car had some nice history to the car. It was unmolested. It only had two owners. The mileage on the car was like 67000 and the car really, truly looked it. Uh, it was originally Silver Pearl, which was a factory color for 1966, black interior, vinyl, Nothing fancy, no power windows or anything like that, but just had the right stuff. Had the had the big motor. It had the four and a quarter horse. I believe that's an L72. If I've done my Chevrolet homework, and I'm sure the phones will light up here in a minute if I said that wrong. You know, most everybody knows the L88s and the 435 horse cars. and But this is uh, the 66. They only had two big block engines available that year. One was a 390 horse, a small port engine. The other one was the uh, oval port motor, or square port engine, which was the four and a quarter horse. So this gentleman had all the right stuff for the car, but it never had the original motor because at one point in time in its life, it was a uh, a drag car. So he had a period correct block for the car, but he didn't have that in there. So what he did have in the car, though, was another big block. It was a big block Chevrolet with a uh, 454 with uh, aluminum heads. So it looked like it may have been an LS7, which was a big block Chevrolet aluminum head, freight motor. And I believe he said he had um, 427 running gear. Excuse me, running gear, uh, rotating assembly. So that'd be a 427 crank and rods. Now, the bore on a big block Chevrolet, 454 and uh, 427s, I believe are four and a quarter. And the stroke varies because one's a four inch stroke and one's like uh, a little more than four inches, I think. And then, of course, the Chevy guys will call me up here in a minute and tell me that too. Just like a 396, same bore, but I think it's got a shorter stroke. It's like three and three quarters or something like that, or three, 3.9 something. At any rate, it was a beautiful car. I started the car up because I said, you know, typically when I do an appraisal, I look the car over from one side to the other side, crawl around it, do this, do that. And um, usually I try to drive the cars if, if it's possible, if the owner allows me, because sometimes, you know, it's their pride and joy. It's their special car. And, uh, you know, they don't want anybody getting behind the wheel. So I thought we were going to go for a ride. And I thought he was going to drive, but he was standing on the other side of the car. And he basically just looked at me and says, well, here, toss me the keys. Okay. Okay. No problem. He'll thought he was going to go with me. He says, go ahead. Take it for a spin. If you don't come back, I'll just take your truck. I thought, fair deal. But anyway, so I very gingerly started the car. It had a very stiff clutch in it. And, you know, if you don't drive, if you're not a stick shift kind of person, you can actually lunge a car forwards or backwards. And it looks pretty stupid when you don't have a car under control, particularly if it's something that you don't own and you're not familiar with the car. So you really need to kind of don't act like you know the car. Just be very careful with it and cautious. So I started the car up, let it idle, let the oil pressure build up like you're supposed to. All right, had a really cool sound. This thing had side pipes, and they're basically chambered exhaust, so it really, really, really has a cool sound. Pretty impressive. I mean, you can just hear the horsepower coming out of the pipes. You know, nice lopy cam, and uh, it was cool. Anyway, so once I got out of the driveway and I took it down the street, you know, I just very gingerly, you know, walked it through the gears, you know, first, second, and third. And uh, I got to tell you, I was... I've been around mid-year cars before, and I've seen them, you know, on and off and driven them on and off for the last 25, 30, 40 years. God, I'm dating myself. But at any rate, uh, this car really, really drove nice. It was tight. It handled well. It was quiet. And again, keep in mind, this is by Corvette standards, okay, because these aren't Porsches. These aren't Ferraris. They aren't BMWs or anything like that or Mercedes-Benzes. You know, it's a typical American car. American cars were kind of, you know, a little loose in the tolerance department. And, and by that, I mean, you know, tolerance as far as fit and finish and, you know, things like that. But, I say that big talks wears doodly squat. <laughs> but at any rate, but this was a nice driving car. I got to tell you, I was truly, truly 
impressed with this car. It was a very, very, very nice car. And the neat thing about the car is, this is a good example. The car had a nice paint job on it. It was not over-restored. It was not a high-priced, well-buffed, you know, million-dollar paint job like you hear these guys talking about. Well, I got $20,000 in paint. Yeah, that's a little ridiculous, okay? This was just a nice paint job. Keep in mind, General Motors back in the day originally was, they were lacquer paint. And they, that's what they used was lacquer paint on the cars. So this is basically base coat, clear coat. And uh, so it looked really good. Had just a few little imperfections in it, but it looked very, very good. So it's above average, better driver quality. But again, par for the standard. In other words, back in the day, it wasn't a perfect car. wasn't a perfect paint job. It was nice. And that's the way this car was. Everything about this car was nice just the way I'd like it. So it was very, very good. It would do very, very well at a car show. That's what you want. You don't want to over-restore the car. The interior had a little, I don't want to use the word patina because it really wasn't patina, but it had a nice wear to it, you know, a nice feel. Kind of like a baseball glove, you know, that's been, you know, you've used a few times and you've thrown a ball in and out of it, you know, and you kind of put a ball in and you folded it up and you put linseed oil in it or whatever you do and you throw it underneath your bed for, for you sports guys out there. But it was just a, a nice, nice car. And uh, so overall, this was a great car. By contrast, a friend of mine, and I'll say a big shout out to Pete. Pete's got a 65 convertible uh, Corvette mid-year. I just got a picture of it. He just emailed it to me a little bit ago. Now, Pete is a fanatic. Pete makes everything he has better than new, better than perfect. And you always hear me talk about Penske, you know, Penske perfect. Pete does everything Penske perfect, too. But the nice thing about the way Pete does it is it really, it's not over-restored. It's just kind of the way it should have been if it was built by some German craftsman, so to speak. And I know Pete's English, so that's why I had to throw that in there. And uh, so it, I have to uh, go look at Pete's car this weekend. And it's a, again, it's a very rare 396 factory, big block, 396, 65 Roadster. And that was the only big engine that he had that year. And... Who knows? They say it was a 396, but no in Chevrolet. It was probably a 427, but it was a four and a quarter horse uh, 396. And it's a stick shift car, and it looks very, very nice based on the pictures that I've seen so far. Anyway, we're going to get, I think we're going to cue something up here. We're going to play a little vintage music for you guys. Well, now, you know what? This is cool because this is uh, Moody Blues, and this is uh, Something Tuesday, right? What's the name of the song, Bobby? Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. Well, guess We're what? We're here on Tuesday. We're here on Tuesday afternoon. How about that? How appropriate. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. Don't go away. We will be right back. We're going to bring our guest on in a few minutes. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm just beginning to see. Now I'm on my way. It doesn't matter to me. Chasing the clouds Trees are drawing me near I've got to find a 
Radio and Cars. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you.
myself as a collector. In my mind, they are like parts of me. Cars are fun and toys, and they all offer you a different experience. To me, they're works of art. The older cars, the details, the metalwork were done by artisans. And as time has changed, they had more sophistication in the new technology. But the cars that I love, the cars that I collect and drive are still special. Cars have always inspired me. The details on cars that I've loved and have utilized those details in watches and furniture. I believe in cars and being works of art. It's technology, it's mechanics, it's details, and to me, that's a special kind of art. I enjoy getting in the car and turning the key and moving. The beauty of the drive, the beauty of the way it feels, and at the same time, the beauty of the look. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman that I have coming on is a true car collector and a true car connoisseur. He's also the founder and the president of Rick Cole Auctions, and I'm pleased to welcome Rick Cole to our show. Rick, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. How are you? Pretty good. Good evening. How are things in sunny California? Uh, it's pretty hot. Very hot. It's severe clear, but it's very hot. But probably not as hot as Florida is right now. You know, it's funny because everybody talks about heat, and I always preface by saying, wait a minute, there's a distinction there. There's a difference. It's we have humidity and moisture, and it's very damp here. You have heat as well, but it's nice and dry. It's dry, yes. And you have a beautiful Pacific breeze that comes across the planet, or that side of it anyway, right? This, yes, we do. Yes, we do. You're right. It's funny, just listening to uh, the show as it started, listening to Ralph Lauren talking about cars, there's a story unto itself. Because one of, one of the cars he's got in his collection used to be mine, and I won't bore you with how it was acquired by him, but it's a funny story. Well, go ahead. Tell us. We, this show's all about stories. We love stories. And which car well, was it? Well, Ralph has my XKSS. I found it in Paris many years ago. It was hidden in a garage uh, in the middle of the city, along with about 12 other Jags and uh, various racing cars. And I bought the whole collection, and I bought it to keep the XKSS, because that was my dream car. The one car that I had to have was on my bucket list at a very early age. And I found it. I got it. I flew it back to California. And no sooner did I get it back, they get a call from somebody representing Ralph. They said, we would, we'd like to have that car. <laughs> and I said, it's not for sale. But you don't understand, Mr. Lauren would like the car, and the rest is history. So I got you. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, it's funny, because I was reading a little, you, you're, you're kind of a British car buff, because I think I was reading or listening, or somewhere I found out that one of your first cars that you always wanted was an MGA, correct? That was the first car that I ever, ever wanted. I turned 16, and I... I needed a car to drive to to school, and uh, I found one in the L.A. Times and went and looked at it. It was just what I wanted, and it was six hundred bucks. And I thought, man, I got to stretch for this, but it could be okay. And I and I told my mother at the time, I said, found my dream car, and she said, nope, no sports car for you. You're getting a Volkswagen, and that's what I did. I ended up with a Volkswagen Squareback, which I hated which I promptly traded uh, to a guy in, in uh, my high school that had a, a, a Triumph TR4A IRS. And uh, I, I just made the trade without telling my mother. I just drove it home one day. I said, I'm sorry, you're stuck with it. <laughs> well, now that was a fair deal for you because you came out with a TR4 independent rear suspension car versus a bug. <laughs> well, yeah, square back. Yeah, a bug. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the maintenance on the Triumph is a little more than a teenager could handle at the time. Very expensive car to maintain. Yeah, but those little TR4As, they were nice little torquey cars, you know, for a four-cylinder. Oh, yeah, no. No, true. 
very, very cool car. I felt like Jack the Lad driving that school. Well, tell but us. But then shortly after that, I ended up getting a Fiat Dino, and that was that was the ultimate. So I had more cars in high school than I think most people own in a lifetime. I just got caught the bug early. Well, now tell us about the Dino. The Dino is actually a pretty car. Did you have a coupe or did you have the Spider? No, I had a Spider. I drove a Spider. Uh, wow. In high school and. Uh, they were fabulous cars to drive. Of course, at the time, you know, they were worth nothing. You know, I mean, we're going back to 1970. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I really stepped up for the Fiat Dino at the time. I mean, I think it was like about five grand. And uh, that was a lot of money back then. But it was a cool car to drive. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because earlier in the show, I played a little clip with uh, Richard Hammond doing a little uh, storyline on the Ferrari Dino, which the Fiat Dino and the Ferrari share some components, but they're very similar looking cars. I mean, I thought that was a beautiful car, quite frankly. Oh, they're, they're fabulous, and they're still, you know, they're just starting to catch up. You know, they're just starting to catch on. I mean, I bought one about three years ago, and I paid ten grand for it, and, you know, you compare that to a 206 Dino now, which is selling for 400 it doesn't make a lot of sense, because the same same motors at 206 just uh you know actually a, a prettier body in many ways and obviously a, a full full spider so uh you know i i look at one of those as a uh, a car to to be pretty safe and at uh, not a lot of investment let's talk about that a little bit cars investments commodities or just buy it just to keep it because you love it and and ha- enjoy it well, I've always bought stuff that I like. You know, I've never never bought a car. I mean, when I was growing up and, and starting in the business, I mean, everything was a love affair. Every car that I bought was a love affair. I mean, the first racing car that I bought, I, I bought a 55 uh, A-Bar 207A, which I had actually cut the picture out of an automobile year book from 1955, cut the picture out of the book, and I still have the book, but it's less the picture of the car. <laughs> and I said, one of these days, I got to have a car like this. And lo and behold, I ended up owning that same car that was in the book. It actually belonged to a friend that I'd known for years. The car was in St. Louis. And I, I asked him one day, I said, have you ever seen one of these? He said, yeah, I got one in my garage. You know, how much do you want for it? Well, I, you know, five grand. Okay, I own it. And, uh, you know, I just, it was just a passion. I mean, there were certain cars that I just picked that I knew that I just had to try and go find them. And I just got lucky once or twice in my life and actually found the exact car that I'd spotted in a book. Were you always a foreign car guy, or did you uh, have domestics as well? Never been a muscle car guy. Never been uh, a real lover of American cars. I, you know, I owned a few. I, I, the first muscle car I ever bought was a 66 uh, Pontiac GTO convertible tri-power had 26 factory options. It was red with white interior, had everything you could possibly put on the car. And at the time, I paid $1,500 for it. It was absolutely beautifully restored. I couldn't sleep at night having that much money in it. And, of course, we're going back a few years ago. But that's really the only uh, American musk. I've owned a lot of Cobras. I mean, a lot of 289s and a lot of 427s in my life. And I I liked them to look at. I didn't really like them to drive. And... uh, but I, I don't know what do you call that an American car? Is it an American car? I guess not. It's really they're really foreign cars for the most part. I guess they kind of go between. Well, they're definitely iconic. Oh, sure. There's no question about that. Sure. Let's talk about Rickhol Auctions. Now, you started really the auction scene, and I mentioned this earlier in the show. Um, I kept your name a surprise though, because um, the first time I was at your auction was in 1989. But I believe you started Rickhol Auctions in what 1985, and you brought it to Monterey. No, I actually started Rickhol Auctions in 1978. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got a job at 19 years old working for a company that's no longer around called Cruise Classic Auction Company. They were based out of Auburn, Indiana at the time. In the early 70s, they were the largest collector car auction firm in the world. They were actually a partner with Barrett-Jackson. When Barrett-Jackson started in 1971, uh, Cruz was actually the masthead, and Barrett-Jackson was kind of uh, secondary. So they went back a long time, and uh, at 19 years old, I lied about my age, told them I was 21, got a job managing their West Coast activities, and four years later, after working for them, 
realized I could do it better, so I started my company in 1978. Oh, okay. Well, then, am I correct in saying you were the first person to bring an auction to Monterey? Oh, yeah, no question about that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when I, I had the first auction there in 1986, and when it was conceived, there was only a car show on Sunday, the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance, and there was only a car race, the Monterey Historic Race. There was no, there was no third event. So I thought, I went to the chairman of the Pebble Beach Concours, and I said, hey, I'd like to do this. Can I have your blessing? And I got his blessing. And then I went to Steve Earle, who ran the Monterey Historics, and I said, I'd like to do this. Can I have your blessing? And he told me to go take a hike. And uh, <laughs> so I, I rented the convention center downtown, and, uh, you know, the thing was a hit from the start, and it's never changed. I mean, I'm the guy that brought commerce to the Monterey Peninsula. There's no question about it. Well, it has evolved into the premier automotive event in the United States, I think. Oh, in the world. There's in, no question. I mean, in the world, yeah. I mean, if you see the amount of Europeans that have inquired about the auction we're doing this year, uh, we've got people coming from Belgium and Switzerland and China and Indonesia and the Philippines. I mean, all over the world. I mean, it's really a global affair. It's a great time to have it, too, because Europe is closed in August. So all the Europeans want to get out of out of Italy and France and all the places that are very hot and very congested with traffic. They come to the Monterey Peninsula and they have a great time. You know, the weather's beautiful and the cars are beautiful and the food is great and the wine is is great and it's just all a good time. So it's evolved into the world's greatest car weekend, no doubt. Now tell us about when now back in the day, like in the eighties, how many cars did you run through your auction at the time? Well, the first auction in 1986 is really no different than what RM does today. And I ran the auction for 12 years and then sold it to RM. So RM basically took up where I left off. And they, they didn't make any changes. I mean, the cars have changed in values, but it's still the same amount of cars each night. And uh, still two nights. And still set up the same way that I ran it. And uh, it's basically uh, a perfect, perfect sale. So there's like, what, 100 to 125 cars? Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, when I started, it was 85 cars a night, but when I started, the cars were a lot cheaper. I mm -hmm. mean, I was joking recently with someone. I showed them the top 10 sales of the first auction in Monterey in 1986, and those top 10 cars, if you added them all together price-wise, would not equal the commission on some cars that are sold today. Huh. I mean, it was a whole different world. So, uh, yeah, we, we were able to sell 85 cars a night at a much lesser average than the cars sell today. So I think RM today sells about 60 cars a night just because they take longer to sell. And the decimal points are in different places. Um, I'm looking at your website right now. It's funny. We were talking about MGAs earlier. you got a beautiful little MGA twin cam, which is actually a rare car, right? Oh, yeah. No, that's a great one, too. I mean, it's it, it's got to be one of the best ones in the world. It's a beautiful driver, fully restored. Yeah, I mean, my auctions have always been done so that there's something for every taste. I mean, we'll have a car that's worth 30 grand and we'll have a car that's worth, you know, 30 million. It's, uh, I try and make it so, you know, everybody can have fun. I look at car collecting like golf. You know, I'm a big golfer. I've been playing golf since I was a little kid and golf's the only sport where an 88-year-old 80, man can play with a 20-year-old man and, and be competitive because there's a handicap. You know, car collecting brings everybody together to talk about the same things regardless of what type of cars they own. That's true. That's true. I was looking here. You have a, uh, a Volvo P1800. We were talking about that earlier. Tell us a little bit about that car. That's, uh, what, a very low-mileage car? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an anomaly. I mean, it's a, it's a P1800. Uh, fuel-injected coupe that was discovered in Santa Barbara with 8,600 actual miles. It's got its original paint, original interior. Every single thing about the car is totally as it was delivered by the factory. Nothing has ever been done to the car except to maintain it mechanically. And actually, I've had so much interest on that car, especially from Sweden. Uh, and, you know, you put two and two together and figure out why. But, you know, that car in Sweden is like the holy grail. So I got a call from a a fellow in that part of the world, and he says, I'm coming over, I have to own that car, I, I don't care what anybody bids, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it. <laughs> okay, no, rightfully so. Um, tell us a little bit about your concept. You're doing something a little bit different this year than you did 
uh, years ago. So tell our listeners kind of what you have in store in Monterey this year. Well, Monterey is these days it's it's over it's overwhelming for the average person. You know, even people in the know, it's overwhelming. There are 25 official events now. Of course, you know, as I said earlier, when I started in 86, there were two. I made it three. Now there's 25 official events during the week. And it's impossible to see everything. And you've got five or six auctions now running simultaneously, and you can't be everywhere at once. You've got RM operating on Friday and Saturday night. You've got Gooding operating on Saturday and Sunday night. And when those two clash on Saturday night, it's like, the, the clash of the Titans. You know, they're both trying to outdo each other. They're both trying to get the greatest cars so they keep the audience. And then you've got Meekum doing his thing and Russo and Steele doing their thing and Bonhams is doing their thing. And now they've got the GTOs from Marinello Rosso coming over with nine other cars. It's busy. And uh, I thought, the last thing I really want to try and do if I'm going to get back into this again is try and fill seats either during the day or during the night. So I came up with a concept that will simply have all the cars on display. You can come and touch and look and examine and spend as much time as you want and then go about your business. And if you want to bid, you can either call us on the phone, you can text us on the phone, you can email us on your cell phone, or you can bid on our proprietary bidding system, which we've developed that is, you know, applicable to smartphones, and you can simply bid, kind of like eBay, except, you know, you can see what you're buying here. You can come and look at it. And you spend as much time as you want, and then go about doing whatever you want to do. I mean, I'd rather play golf in a couple of weeks than hang around auctions for hours. <laughs> do you think that, uh, you know, talking about Gooding and RM and Bottoms, you know, they got the nice little rooms there, the seats all set up and everything like that, a nice atmosphere. It's almost like entertainment in a way. Do you think that uh, that uh, will have any effect on, on, on your sale at all? I mean, you know, a lot of, but you're right. You know, when you are at an auction, you're kind of confined. You're stuck there and you got to watch all these cars and you can't go anywhere for fear of you might miss something or you just want to be part of it, right? Well, most people come to bid on one or two cars. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to talk down the auction business because, you know, I, I've gained a lot of notoriety and I've been successful at it, and I can't say enough about the system as it operates. I mean, it's a great business to be in. It's not rocket science. It's basically reputation. And my thought of this is, you know, if you build it, they will come. You know, if you don't have just run-of-the-mill cars, uh, you don't really have much to worry about. The cars that I've assembled, and we only have 35, but they're really a cross-section of good, great, and the greatest. And uh, I've had nothing but positive comments from everyone who's called. They love the format. They love the fact that uh, they can come to our sale and, and bring they can bring a credential from RM and be instanta- instantaneously uh, approved to bid at our sale. You know, we're not asking them for all sorts of additional uh, letters from banks or credit things or whatever you, you know, the, the RM and Gooding and all these other companies are asking for. I mean, you go to Monterey today and you want to participate at four auctions. You've got to bring separate documents to each one of these auctions. You've got to pay $300 to register at one auction, $200 to register at another one, 160 at another one, and 250 at another one. By the time you're done, you spent a thousand dollars just to get in the door of these places and you provided, you know, all these banking letters. I mean, you come into my sale, you got an RM bidders card, you're good to go. I mean, why do I need to vet you again? They've already done my homework. So you come in, we don't charge anything to register the bid. You can come in, you can look, you can have to, everything's complimentary, complimentary bar, complimentary food, complimentary hors d'oeuvres all day long. You can come and sit. We've got, couches and big screen TVs will pipe in the other auctions to, you know, as they happen. So we, we, you know, we'll be a place to hang and we're 50 feet from RM. So, you know, we'll, we'll get the overflow from them without a doubt. And people can come and relax and, and see some great cars. And if they want to bid, they can think about it. You know, they can come back the next day or the next day or the next day. And, uh, just think about the purchase and not be subject to this, Boom, gavel. You know, I own it. I paid too much. I didn't have time to think. 
you know, there's a lot of, lot of good things about what we're doing. There's a lot of great things about what RM does and what Bidding does. I mean, I can't fault them. I mean, they've both been tremendously successful, as has, you know, Meekham is too. He does his own thing, and uh, just not my style anymore. If this goes over really well, do you plan other events uh, similar to this in the future? No. No? Absolutely not. No. No, I've already been asked that. And people say, oh, are you going to Amelia Island? Are you going to go to uh, St. John's? Scottsdale, yeah. Yeah, no, just one. Just one? I just like to do one right. Okay. Now, let me ask you this real quick, because we're talking about Monterey. Monterey versus, let's say, like Dana Point, Newport. Uh, if you had a choice, is Monterey the, the, the perfect location, you think, compared to the other two? Well, you... yeah. Well, it's got the history. Okay. You've got Pebble Beach. I mean, that's the anchor. That's gotcha. No you got 50-some-odd years of history there, and you got 30-some-odd years or 40 years of the historic races. I mean, they, these are you know, major big-time events. And, uh, you know, it's an honor for me to even be associated with what the people that created those two events have done. And, uh, yeah, Newport Beach, I, I did auctions in Newport Beach for years. I mean, they were great. I mean, we were called the Scotchdale of the West for years, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I mean, it was so popular, uh, the Newport auction, that we did it twice a year. But, you know, then I retired for a while, and... Uh, I think Russo and Steele's tried to go back into that uh, area. And uh, it's uh, Newport's not Monterey, but Monterey's Monterey. Mm-hmm. Monterey's great. Monterey's great, especially this time of year. The weather's spectacular and got everything going for it. I'm looking at your inventory. you got a beautiful 62 SL Roadster, which is the last year for that car, a stunning-looking Daytona yellow Ferrari. you got an F40, a Maserati Ghibli, uh, a Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost, you know, a pre-war car, a couple of E-types, a Dino, in fact, you know, a Ferrari Dino, uh, a Boss 429, you know, right up my alley. I mean, you got some pretty cool stuff, a 914. Um, pretty cool stuff, pretty eclectic. I mean, as far as, like you said, run-the-gamut type uh, inventory. Yeah, that's what we wanted to do, you know, just have something for every taste and every kind of pocketbook. And uh, But, I mean, you know, the great stuff that I've got is great. You know, the uh, 275 GTB competition is, is an incredible car, one of the greatest cars in the world, and, and, and the greatest unrestored major league Ferrari has ever been offered. The 410 Sport, you know, that is a, a rival to the Ferrari Testarossa, you know, below the doors off one, and it was built two years before the Testarossa. It's, it's just an incredible uh, machine, and... Uh, you know, we've got a, a 250 short wheelbase, which, you know, very few and far between. Those rarely get offered. So, I mean, we've got some really neat cars and uh, and something for every kind of pocketbook, as I said. The Mercedes, the uh, 540, is that a real 540? Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that's a special Cabriolet A built on a special Roadster chassis by Sindelfingen. I mean, that car is long, sleek, beautiful, powerful, and one of six ever made, one of three in existence, a hundred-point car, previously shown at Pebble Beach. It's a knockout. Matter of fact, that was the poster car for uh, the Boca Raton Concours down your way a few years ago. Yeah, if you go to their website, you'll see an interior picture of that car. It's had a great history owned by some really cool people. That's a true classic. And then, of course, you have one of my favorites, the 63 Ferrari Lusso. What a beautiful car. Yeah, Ferrari's prettiest road car ever. We got a few minutes... We got a few minutes left, and while we're talking about the Lusso, did what, you've you've sold and, and traded a lot of cars with celebrities? And if I remember correctly, didn't Steve McQueen own a Lusso at one point in time, and he was one of your customers? Well, he, I didn't know him when he owned the Lusso. He was a customer way, way back, about 1970, 71. Mm-hmm. I worked in a classic car showroom in Santa Monica, California, and uh, he used to come in all the time. He drove a 71 300 SEL 6.3. He was married to Allie McGraw at the time, and they'd come in all the time, and he was always looking at cars. We sold him a 34 Packard and sold him a 35 Ford convertible coupe, I think, and several other things. I used to deliver the cars to his house. He lived out in Malibu, and I had the privilege of delivering them there. And then when I left there and had my own auction company, I ended up selling him motorcycles at auction. So, I mean, I didn't know him well, but, I mean, I had the honor of having met him on numerous occasions, and I uh, was lucky enough to, to sell him some things. 
That's cool. Well, I, I know we're all excited about uh, Monterey. Rick, you want to go ahead and plug, because we're just about out of time. You want to go ahead and plug your uh, website real quick one more time? Well, it's pretty simple. It's rickcole.com. Okay. And uh, everything you'd ever want to know about the auction right there and uh, a lot of pretty cars to look at. And, uh, again, you know, if you're on the Monterey Peninsula, it's free to come in. It's free to register to bid. It's free refreshments. It's free food. It's a good place to hang. Meet a lot of great people. Well, super. We're all looking. We're all looking forward to it. Hopefully, with a little luck, I'll be out there and uh, I'll get to shake hands with you. So, uh, Rick, I want to thank you very much uh, for being a guest in Nostalgic Radio and Cars this evening. Our guest this evening was Rick Cole of Rick Cole Auctions. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. Be sure and check out our website. There, guys, stumble over my. See, I got to learn to slow down. Be sure and do it. Be sure. That's a good one. I'm going to save that as a liner right there. But anyway, be sure and tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars every Tuesday evening at seven. PM. Be sure and tell your friends. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Golfstream Motorsports, Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to, I don't know if this stuff's going to be televised, but there's going to be some stuff televised out in Monterey. It is the premier automotive event in the world. Don't forget to stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family, and we'll see you at some of the car shows. Telling tales out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcasts me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. Yeah, dumb cracker.